You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, I'm sitting down with my friend, Kaylor Betts. You may know Kaylor better as the host of the Mental Wealth Podcast, or you've seen him on Instagram, spitting truth bombs. Well, we dove deep into the concept of why some people can see the truth and aren't afraid to speak it, and others are absolutely terrified. There's a lot of mindset going on here, and we even go into the mindset around getting healthy and how it takes a shift in perspective and in your mindset before you can actually take your health into good order. I hope you enjoy this episode. It was an absolute blast, as always, to sit down with Kaylor. Let's jump in. Kaylor Betts, welcome to the Dr. Tina Show. I am so delighted to have you here today. This is a long time coming, and I'm a huge fan of yours on Instagram, on the grams, and we've become friends through this whole nightmare. Um, You are a Canadian. You are a podcast host of the Mental Wealth Podcast. You are an all-around, even-keeled dude, and so I'm really happy to have you here so we can talk about all the things that are going on currently in the world. Yeah, Dr. Tina, thank you for having me. I'm truly honored to be here. I'm a big fan of yours as well and uh, excited to see where this conversation goes. I'm sure it'll be wide ranging. So you came on the scene on Instagram and you had a couple videos. Uh, well, let me give let me give my story. And I think I shared this on your podcast because I was honored to be a guest on your podcast a little while ago. I There was a few of us that got, came out gunning. We were just like, no, this is not okay. And I, I feel like we were like the early generals. There was some battle fatigue mm. occurring within a few months. And I was mentally really growing weary because you know my story and everyone else does. So I don't have to go into it. But you know, the, the world was coming down on me for speaking the truth. And I was getting really worn out. And I remember that's when I came across your video. I saw you speaking truth. And I've always had this ability when someone's speaking the truth, I can literally see the words truth coming out of their mouth. And I get this tingle feeling. And I'm sure you understand. And I'm sure some people in the audience understand. And conversely, when people are lying, it is completely evident to me immediately. I can literally see the words, you know, lies, like a ticker tape coming out of their mouth. Um, We know a few who's doing that in the government. So in in both of our governments. (laughs) So... I remember being struck with that tingly feeling when I saw your video. And I was like, this guy is telling the truth. This is what's up. And you brought such a, you bring, you still continue. I always stop on your videos because you bring such a rationality to things. It's like, okay, this is my daily reset of rational reasoning. And I think that's what you shine in professionally. So tell me about that. What happened? You were, when was that? I don't even remember. It was a few months in. So um, the first video that I put out, well, let me actually backtrack a little bit. So um, I've been in the health and wellness space for almost 13 years. um, And my kind of approach and specializations have, you know, kind of evolved. And I've, I've, you know, always really wanted to, you know, young Pablo says a really good quote, he says, a hero is someone who heals their own wounds, and then teaches others to do the same. Now, I'm not going to you know, give myself uh, the title of being a hero by any means, but I, I think it's a noble pursuit that I am going for, right? So I've healed a lot of my own wounds. Um, and what I really went through was, I like to say I was in a battle with my mind for most of my life. And that started to manifest some physical ailments as well too. And I started to develop some autoimmune stuff. 
Um, but really the, the main uh, thing that I struggled with was, you know, like I said, being in a battle with my mind. Now, more specifically, that's anxiety, depression, lack of focus, fatigue. Um, and I was in that battle and I did what everyone said that you should do. I went and seen, you know, the system, the Western clinical professionals like psychiatrists, psychologists, doctors, um, to help me with these psychological ailments. And really all I was offered in my experience was some talk therapy um, and some pharmaceuticals, right? We know how that goes. So I kind of was sitting there as like someone early in my 20s saying like, there's got to be a better way, right? Like I shouldn't have to be on a pill just to feel good for the rest of my life. There was something deep innately in me that um, just made me think there's got to be, you know, a better way. So I just kind of took ownership and took personal responsibility. And I thought, you know, let's, let's see what other people are saying. And this is obviously when the internet was, was around. So I, I did some Googling and searching and I came across people who basically empowered me to, and opened my eyes to the realization that like, I don't have to just like take a pill and sit in front of a therapist with like a collared shirt in intimidation, kind of like just halfway through the session, finishing about where I'm at in my week. And then they have 30 minutes to save my life kind of thing. Um, so I went on a journey of trying everything, uh, you know, and I got obsessive about human optimization. Now that wasn't just, uh, mentally, it was also physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So I went on that journey and I've gotten to a place, uh, Dr. Tina, I'm, I'm like ecstatic to say that most days I'm thriving. I don't have it all figured out, but most days I'm feeling really good. I still have a lot to learn now. I now go out and I help people do the same. But here's the thing is I put on a mask for a long time. When I would show up on Instagram, I would say the things that I thought people wanted to hear. Things that would minimize my vulnerability to rejection, criticism, abandonment, um, and shame. So I would just like, you know, talk about loving yourself and, you know, do all these things that are safe and convenient for the people around me. And then on April 8th, 2020, after seeing all of the madness and the nightmare, as you alluded to, going on with everything, I've been saying for a long time, you don't need to be a doctor to see that this doesn't make sense. <laughs> so I took a risk and I, for honestly, Dr. Tino, about two weeks, I recorded a eight to 10 minute rant and I just did different takes. I did a rant about everything that's going on, everything from like, we're not talking about metabolic health and it's so evident that this is a factor here. We're missing out on a huge opportunity. We're not talking about mental health and what lockdowns are doing, what masks are doing, um, you know, in terms of mental health, the doom and gloom, uh, you know, attitude and, and conditioning that our mainstream media has. Like, I just went off on like all these things that I was just fed up with. And I put out the video and it was very counter narrative and it, it, it blew up, you know, over the period of like two to three weeks that had over a million views. And it was, it was rough. I'm not going to lie. It was rough. <laughs> there was a period of about a week I didn't eat or sleep because in my hometown, there was like a petition for my Instagram account to get shut down. I had like death threats, near death threats coming into my Instagram the hate, the public humiliation. I had cousins who I sit at the dinner table with who were publicly trying to humiliate me on Instagram. Like I lost acquaintances, I lost friends. 
Um, it was intense. I had university professors going on some of the top podcasts in Canada and trying to debunk my video and it was crazy. Um, but, but, but I'll end here because I know I've talked a lot, uh, and, I'll, and then I'll pause. It was by far the best experience I've ever had in my life because Dr. Tina, when you go through essentially your worst nightmare, and that was my worst nightmare to be exposed to actually tell my truth and to get all of this hate. But when you go through that and you see the fucking sunrise the next day and you're all in one piece and you're like, oh shit, like I'm actually okay. And I actually have a whole lot of love. I get to now meet people like Dr. Tina and like, you know, all these amazing people who I'm like, shit, we have the same mindset. We, we see it, we get it. And I've never been more fulfilled by the deep connections that I've built of people who actually are on the same page as me. I, I'm happy to say and proud to say that I've changed some people's minds with which is always the goal and brought them to become awake and critically think. And lastly, it has been the thing that has built more confidence within me than anything I've ever experienced. Oh, I'd love I just got the tingly feeling. <laughs> just got my eyes get all watery and I start tingling when people are telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's my meter. This episode of The Dr. Tina Show is brought to you by my personal line of products that you can find inside my online store. My number one selling product is Easily Relax Tonic. What is Relax Tonic? Relax Tonic is an innovative powdered drink mix that reminds me a whole lot of the cherry-flavored Kool-Aid I drank as a kid. Only this Kool-Aid won't brainwash you and might actually help you make better decisions. It contains a blend of ingredients that promotes a relaxed mood by supporting the body's natural neurotransmitter balance and neuronal stabilization. It contains the inhibitory neurotransmitter GABA, supports hormonal balance, healthy blood pressure levels already within normal range, and healthy glucose metabolism. Relax Tonic aims to promote a calm, relaxed, well-balanced, emotional, and physiologic state. While I can't make any specific health claims, tell you how to dose it, or make individual health recommendations, I can tell you how they work. As always, check with your provider before beginning any supplement regimen. Listeners of The Dr. Tina Show can enjoy 10% off Relax Tonic by using the code RELAX10 in all capital letters over inside my store at store.drtina.com. That's D-R-T-Y-N-A. Again, head to store.drtina.com and be sure to use code RELAX10 for 10% off. I have noticed, and I'm wondering if you have noticed, the severe decline of mental health over the past few years, it being fully evident in our experiences on Instagram with large audiences and as podcast hosts. Are you seeing that? Yeah, well, look, I think, um, of course, I, I absolutely am. And I think um, there's a lot of things we could attribute it to. I think the social isolation certainly hasn't helped. I think innately it's, you know, it's in our biology, it's in our DNA. You just look at our evolution and it's very ancestrally consistent to connect with the people around us. And we've all of a sudden been told to be afraid of other people, afraid of social connection, to be afraid of air, for God's sakes, um, <laughs> and afraid of <laughs> things like the sun and everything. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And the fear mongering becomes worse and worse and worse. The mainstream media pushes it out more and more and more because they see that it's working and it's really taking an effect on people's mental health. But what I actually attribute it the most to, uh, Dr. Tina, is I think that 
when you look at the subconscious mind, right, we all have this subconscious mind, we have conscious mind, and we have a subconscious mind, the subconscious mind is 90 to 95% of our thoughts, actions, ideas and emotions, it's basically like this automatic computer program that we run off of, and we run off of it for survival. It's kept us alive for most of human history, it's fast, it's efficient. Um, and it, it saves us, it, it has saved us in a lot of um, human history. But um, what happens is we look to our environment and our experiences, and that gives us evidence that then makes us formulate belief systems about how the world works and who we are as a person. And that's kind of the code that our subconscious runs off of. Now, primarily these beliefs were developed in our childhood, right? Because we're so impressionable in our childhood and we're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. We got to develop this subconscious program. But here's the thing. Our subconscious mind can be influenced through two things, emotion and repetition. Okay. So in our environments and our experiences, if something has a lot of emotion behind it, that gets stored within our subconscious, that influences, that reprograms our subconscious, particularly negative emotion, because we have a negativity bias. We're always looking for threats, right? Our psychology is. And then repetition. Now, if you think about it, fear is a negative emotion, right? And gets stored within the subconscious. And then when you add repetition, well, I don't know that we've been exposed to more of a consistent negative emotion than fear and which the, the emotion is actually anxiety, right? So we have anxiety and we've been exposed to it through our media and just our conversations in society. Everything has been so doom and gloom for the last two and a half years. So a lot of emotion and a lot of repetition every day we're exposed to this doom and gloom. And, you know, our mainstream media is telling our, particularly the younger generation that the world is ending climate crisis, like we're, we're screwed, it's too late, like, you know, and then don't go outside because of COVID and like wear nine masks and you got to stay inside and social distancing, right? Like be careful. And it's just fear over and over and over again. And that to me is what is causing the mental health decline, or at least what's attributing to it the most in my observation um, and it all has to do with our subconscious programming. It is so doom and gloom for many people right now. It's true. And like you said, our brains are programmed to find the negative because it's trying to keep us safe. So it's designed to seek out that which will hurt us first and focus, hyper-focus there. So then we, it, it takes a lot of conscious focus to override that yes, programming. it does. And I think there's a few of us that are able to do that because we trained for it prior to the pandemic. I think this is the first time a lot of people have ever been thrown into this position and it threw them off Keter. And I was like, dude, I trained for this. I trained to be alone. I've been alone a lot in my life. I'm good at it. <laughs> I'm really good at it. It was funny when I went to school in Eugene, I didn't know anybody. And I remember spending like two quarters completely alone and feeling so sad. I was young, you know, and I was so sad and alone. I was in my, I was 21, 20. And I think I was 21. And I, I remember at the end of it telling my friend that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because mm. I learned how to thrive alone. And then I've had to be alone since a few, a few times over through divorces, through other things. Um, I'm used to getting trashed on. Like I said, I'm used to people not seeing, you know, in 2000 and I don't know, four or five, I was running around school telling everybody the sun was good for you. And oh my gosh, the uproar, like the, the, the uproar that I was getting. I remember 
early on, I was teaching at the chiropractic college and I was teaching pharmacology and I was telling them that statins were actually not so good for you and getting called up by the dean and having to have a discussion, even though I had the data. So like I'm used to having the data and being vilified for it. But at the same time, I think you and I, we prepared for this years ago th through the trials and tribulations we went through. So when it happened, it's like game on, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's about, not great, but let's go. A hundred percent. And it also is about, you know, we have to reframe things. We have to put things into perspective, right? Um, you know, there's, there's I, like, and, and this is something that a lot of people aren't going to feel or resonate with, but I've actually never been more excited about life than in the last like two years. Now, is the world a little more messed up than like five to 10 years ago? Evidently so. I mean, there, we have, we're facing some really big problems and there's the, those are no joke. But like where your focus goes, energy flows. Mm -hmm. I, don't get me wrong, it weighs heavy on me. Like I, I think about these things, I get mad, I get angry, I get sad, I get anxious. But I am, my day is so filled with, conversations like this like I look forward to conversations like this I look forward to you know a coaching call with a client or a group call in my group academy or going on Instagram and speaking the truth and but also I follow a lot of people who aren't talking about COVID who are actually talking about you know how to elevate your life how to focus like I focus on the things I can control and I take responsibility for those. Then I let go and I surrender to the things in which I can't control. And like, there is nothing that enrages me more that I live in a country where Justin Trudeau is the head honcho. That weighs on me when I think about it. So guess what? I mean, there's not a whole lot I can do other than vote and maybe sign a petition here or there, speak truth on Instagram, maybe go to a protest here or there. Like I'll do all the things but at some point I have to realize that I have a mental diet. I have, I have to protect my subconscious conditioning. I have to protect that. And I have to know that everything I see in my environment, my experiences, every thought, every single idea, every emotion, I need to be a thought detective. And I need to make sure that I don't let anything sink into my psychology that's not going to serve me before I reframe it. And we have to get good at doing that. I agree. How do you suggest people go about doing that? Is there a technique that you like? Is there a pause? Is there, you know, program pause? How do you? Yeah, I just mentioned, I just mentioned it. Um, I believe Dr. Nicola Perra coined this term, um, but being a thought detective. Okay. What this means is it's, and this is what Dr. Joe Dispenza talks a lot about. It's becoming conscious of your unconscious patterns and conditioning, right? Like, we have to realize that like all day long, we're this automatic computer program, thoughts, ideas, emotions, like keep coming up. And we need to be a thought detective in that we need to become aware of like, ooh, like I'm feeling anxious right now. What, why am I feeling anxious? Oh, it's because I was just thinking about that thing that Dr. Tina posted that I didn't agree with. And I, I, I it elevated my heart rate and my sympathetic nervous system elevated. And I didn't like that because it challenged my worldview right and you have to as soon as you do that you create space okay now as soon as you do that you create that space and now you're the observer of it yes okay now what does this mean it means you now hold the keys to respond to it instead of reacting to it guys losers and i'm just going to be really blunt here a little tough love losers react to their subconscious conditioning and all their unhealthy patterns. 
Winners are conscious. They create that space. They become awake and they say, ooh, that's anxiety. And then they think critically and they go, should I really be justified? Well, Dr. Tina's just, you know, doing her best. She's probably dealing with battles that I don't even know about. I should have more empathy and sympathy for her. She, you know, is very well-educated. She's credible. You know, so you walk yourself through the truth, the objective truth, and you say, that's probably my shit. That anxiety is probably my own internal battles that I'm now trying to project out onto her, right? And then you tell yourself the truth and then you respond in the way. Now, going back to the repetition, if you do that with enough repetition, guess what? The program changes. So that, and I don't overwhelm people, it's a complicated thing, but to me, that is the best thing you can do is be a thought detective, create that space and respond to your unconscious program uh, and become aware of it. And then you can respond consciously. Yes, I love it. I think you're right. I think it requires a tremendous amount of discipline. I did not have that discipline until I was older. It requires the ability to hold your tongue. And I would honestly add to that, maybe sometimes not responding is the best thing to do. Yeah. You know, like the messages I get, I honestly, I, it's easy when they're coming at you rapid fire constantly through emails, through DMs, through everything. And you're, you know, it's easy to be like, Arr! and turn around. And I am like, when people say, Tina, you're such a bitch. I'm like, I am. And I'm really good at it. So do not push me there. I don't want to be, I was nice. And then yeah. I was nice. And then I was nice. And then I was a bitch. And when I decide to flip that switch, I make sure that it's so potent that they actually, th I try to throttle their, I literally try to throttle their chakras yeah. so that they can't even respond. It's so, yeah. I grew up as an abused kid by an older sibling and I got so good at throwing that dagger right where it needs to go so that it just piths their energetic system and they can't respond, right? It's literally the, how can I make them shut up and feel as stupid as humanly possible as quick as possible? and then run away. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's my that's my programmed, you know, pathology strategy of that's my trauma response. Yeah. I fully own it. I know it. Yeah. And so I try really hard not to go there because I know when it happens it's not going to be fun for the other person and it doesn't feel good for me and I think it's costly on me energetically. Even just talking about it makes me feel that cortisol rush. Um so not responding at all. Just walking away from it. And I get these messages and I think some lady wrote me the other day, Kaylor, and she wrote me a short novel and a threatening message because I sent her an email because she's on my list and I suggested some supplements for skin and in there I suggested fish oil. And she was so mad that she took the time to write me a novel to tell me what a charlatan I was and how fish oil is terrible and yada, 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 because there's this whole, I don't know if you know, but there's this whole like anti-fish oil movement going yeah. on, which... You think there would be like better use of your time? Yeah, I do. <laughs> there are bigger fish to fry at this point, but okay. Like the pick your battles part, I think fits into what you were saying. Learn yeah. to pick your battles, but where your you know where your thoughts go, your energy flows. And I was so befuddled by the message. I just thought you literally sat down and took the time to write me this. Like the people I know that I hang out with that are in my inner circle, which has gotten significantly smaller even prior to COVID, but it's really small now. We all have such cool shit going on that we would never even have the time to read the email in the first place. And if we did read it, I certainly in a million years, like half the messages I see that are venomous on, well, not half, all of them on Instagram, I would never in a million years even take the time to write in. Like, 
if you said something I didn't agree with, I would just move along. 100%. (laughs) And it doesn't happen. I I pretty much agree with everything you say, but I I would just move along. I would never stop what I was doing because I'm so busy trying to create abundance and help people. Like I am truly on this planet right now to, I, I figured it out. It hit me like a ton of bricks the other day. I am here for those who are going to survive the zombie apocalypse. That's it. I'm not here to save the ones who aren't. Yeah. I'm not here to save the ones that think that they're not. I'm not here to save the ones that are in three masks and four shots in who are terrified. Those are not my people. I am not here to save them. They are not invited onto my zombie apocalypse team, even if they wanted to come. Yeah. I am here, and I don't feel bad about saying that. I am here for those of us who are going to be here when the fallout happens. And so that is who I'm here to serve. So I am here to help human beings get more metabolically sound because that to me is the root cause of the continuation of this mess. And I am here to help other healthcare practitioners figure out how to not go broke during this period, figure out how to build an online business so that they can stay profitable and keep feeding their family so they can homeschool their kids from home. Truly, it's for women who want to stay home and take care of their kids and not send them into the system, right? The ones who want to figure out how to grow their food and stay on their own land and take care of their own. That is who I'm serving. Mm. That is who this podcast is for. It's not for the scared Nancys and bitchy Karens that haven't figured out what's going on yet. Like they're completely unaware that the food shortage is about to get 10 times worse, you know? And I'm not trying to bring negativity into the situation. It's just reality. Like people don't want to look at reality. And if you dare bring it up, it's like the hostility must fly. And I'm, and then for me to even engage that is a complete, it's not just a waste of my time. It takes away from the energy that I have to spend over here trying to help those who are going to survive the zombie apocalypse. You know, uh, there's there's um, one of the best, I guess, pieces of advice I've ever got or whatever is to, you know, and I don't even know who, came, who it came from. It's been repeated lots um, that just talks about how you shouldn't buy things, material things to impress people because you're trying to impress the people that you don't even like. And I would say the same thing, like don't invest negative energy. Don't invest sitting there and stewing in negative emotions and wasting your energy for people that you don't even like. So right. for me, one of the first things that I do um, when some, like I get people to post on my posts all the time and they, you know, they say something negative or like the other day someone was like, cool tattoos, you must be very smart, you know, like, like before, <laughs> that's one that just sticks out because it's so ridiculous. But, you know, like um, it, stuff like that, I the first question I ask is like, does this person matter to me? You know, if my mom goes on there and or my best friend or you, like your your comment will stick out like a sore thumb. I'll be reading it. I remember you posted on one of my food posts talking about how it's not an excuse um, if you're low income to say, well, I'm going to buy high processed crap. And when you wrote um, a comment on that, like I was I was really reading into it. And I'm like, what is she trying to say about my post? Because you matter to me. I, I, I appreciate and I respect your opinion, your credible opinion. So I'm really reading those. We don't want to just write off anyone that disagrees with us, but like, you got to ask yourself, does this person really matter to me? Is this worth worth investing negative energy into this? And I think what you said is so good that like, I think often the best thing to do is to not respond because Number one, the world has never changed through the 
uh, comments on a social media thread, right? Like no one's ever made a big impact in there. And I look at some of these people who literally like follow every post I make and they just like, no matter what, they disagree with it. And then they, they, they make a post against it. And then my followers will respond uh, with some discourse and then they'll respond. And the next thing you know, it's an argument. And I just look <laughs> at it and I see the same people over and over again. And I'm like, you're just trolling my page. You don't even follow me. And you're trolling my page and you're wasting. I think about the time that they're wasting. And I immediately just go to how hurt they truly are. You know, like I try to at least because I have the same side as you. I can flip like if someone rubs me the wrong way in a comment or like maybe they get me at the wrong time, I can flip a switch and I'm not perfect. Um, but I immediately try and just go to like this person is projecting out so many of their own internal battles onto me through the comment section and like I can only imagine how sad their life is and I kind of feel bad and that takes away the the desire for me to to engage in it because I don't want to be one of those sad individuals. Right. And I don't even want to touch them. I don't even yeah. want to speak to them because energetically there's an exchange. Exactly. A hundred percent. I'm not even... And we're, I, not, we're just, not here to help them, right? Like that's not what we're here for. That's not our mission. Um, there's plenty enough help out there, you know, and I do often sometimes say, hey, you know, maybe you should invest your energy in something you know, else. And maybe that's even taking it too far. But yeah, it's it's not even worth, you know, getting into it with them. Or if you're in a situation where someone's pissing you off or triggering you or whatever, especially in person, like, you know, just be the observer, like literally just be there to like, really be the thought detective, like what's going on in my psychology? Like what emotions am I feeling? Let them in, create space for them, like honor them, acknowledge them. It's okay to feel triggered. It's okay to feel angry by this person who just said this. And then I just like I, I, letting them in actually, you know, there's this great quote, what we resist persists, you know, that's what Seneca said. And what we resist persists when we don't let emotions in, when we try and push them away, when we're like, eh, I'm angry and I don't like that. And you're trying to push it away. Well, it gives it energy, literally gives it more energy. It persists. When you actually let it in and you just are the observer of it and you can notice it, it disarms the emotion. And all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, like I just didn't have to resist it. And it's okay to feel angry, but I also need to recognize that it's not a them problem. This is for me now to grow. And that's why I think ultimately, like you alluded to, I think in most scenarios, it's better to just leave it. Like what is, what is saying anything to them going to do anyways? Nothing, yeah. right? It's just going to persist. It's going to create more exchange. And like you said, I'll just delete those comments because I don't even want, because if my followers jump in to defend me, it just turns in, eventually it, it gets completely off topic. And now they're t arguing about something else completely unrelated and it's taking over yeah. the posts and it just turns into a garbage can dumpster fire, you know? So know. I'm like, no dumpster fires here. Everybody's in a timeout. <laughs> Everybody's, all comments are deleted. You're blocked. I remove, I don't let anyone comment on my posts unless they're a follower. So that really keeps things a lot easier. And then I just remove them as a follower. If they haven't yeah. offended me, but they're misbehaving, I just remove them as a follower, hoping they'll just forget about me because they probably weren't in the right place anyway. They probably don't care about me. Kate, they we, just sorry to interject, Dr. Tina, but we should talk about this. I, everyone listening, because I think some people, and I struggled with this in the beginning, but like 
this is your home. Your Instagram page is your home. It's a community that you've built. It is a space that you live in for a good portion of your day. You should be proud of it. You should honor it and you should protect it. If anyone is coming in and being a jackass, it's just like someone walking to your door. You open it because you're, you know, like willing to be open-minded and they're being a jackass to you at the door. What would you do? You would kick them out. You would say, get out of here and you would not tolerate it. You would create boundaries. So block people who are being jackasses on your social media and don't feel bad about it. This is your right. It's not cancel culture. People try and turn it around and say, oh, oh no. you're canceling people. It's like, this is my home. I they, they literally have the whole ethernet to be able to go out and speak whatever they want and put the messages out there that they have. But I'm not going to allow them to do it in my house. And I think that's, uh, you know, really, really important. It's so funny. The other day, what you said about how it'll get into an argument and then they'll be arguing about something completely different. I saw that the other day. One of my posts was about, I think it was about like, I don't know, Trudeau or something like that. And it started off talking about the topic. And then like I looked at it the next day and they were arguing about like, not wearing underwear like someone was like so you're saying that like i shouldn't be wearing underwear you should follow this doctor and like you your claim about yeast infections is like misinformation about and i'm like this is so ridiculous this is now being talked about underwear so kind of i can't i can't do it i'm too old i'm an old lady (laughs) and i don't have a lot of tolerance for it and it's you know social media is uh, my job is really truly coaching other doctors in business and marketing online it's not I pivoted during the pandemic to help society, to help humanity. I was like, I have information and truth that they need to survive this. And I get messages. I got five this morning from people saying, thank you so much. I don't know what I would have done without you. Thank you so much. You've kept me sane the past few years. Thank you so much. I've lost a hundred pounds. Here's the picture before and after this was all you're doing. And the doctors you introduced me to through your page, right? Like that's was my pivot and shift for the pandemic, but that is not really my job. So when people want to come up on my grill, I'm like, dude, I'm not Mark Hyman. Like my job isn't to be here. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. I love this podcast because truly, actually, it just gives me an opportunity to talk to cool people like you. Like I I use it as a networking opportunity to connect and deepen friendships and have great ideas get broadcast out into the world and have great minds on. And hopefully my audience size helps promote some people. And then I get to be honored to be on big podcasts and that hopefully, you know, it's, it's just a, um, I'm just trying to, we're all just trying to spread the information as best we can in this age of censorship. But truly, when somebody unwinds on my page, it's interesting. I had a gal come at me the other day and I engaged her a little bit because what she said was she literally completely shifted my words and put them in quotations. She made up a complete sentence that had nothing to do with what I was posting and put quotations around it. And I said, that's not what I said, but thanks for putting literal words into my mouth with quotation marks. And she wrote back something about, you know, you don't have to come at me with venom. And I said, I'm not. I I normally don't even engage. I don't normally even respond to comments on my posts anymore. I said, but I, I just wanted to point out that you literally changed my words around to suit your narrative. And that's not at all what I said, not even the intention. And she left it. And then a few days later, she commented again, something about how she's in her 20s, and she's really struggling and the horrific upbringing that she's had to contend with and how she's determined not to make that her story. And it hit me, you know, I thought, damn, that's awesome. Not only did she stick around after I scolded her, a little bit. I did. I was scolding her. I didn't know how old she was when I responded to her on that other post, but I was not having that 
nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second part was she is, she clearly, like you said, people have their stuff, right? She clearly has had some stuff and it's, it's very easy to be reactive, especially when we're younger. I was so hyper reactive in my twenties yeah. as we were talking about earlier, you know, and I, I didn't, I wasn't as good at, at holding my tongue. And I know people think I'm not good at it now, but they have no idea what, how much I hold back. <laughs> what comes out is very strategic but it's just an interesting but again that is not my those are that's not my circus and it's not my responsibility to manage that even for anyone so most of the time I don't even respond because it's just not a place when I was trying to respond and help everybody it was making me physically ill and yeah. I was having tremendous health issues last year because of it and mm -hmm. when I finally pulled back and just said sharp boundaries. And I actually have a team that manages most of my DMs and I shut my DMs off. The only people that can get through are people who've been through previously. So I don't even see most of it anymore, which has been a huge godsend. And I do come in probably daily and check on it, but it's, people don't seem to understand it's, it's contributing, I believe, to the unraveling of our society. It's just one more dissolving of the fabric of citizenship in our society. We're just you know, muttering. And I think sometimes I have to stop. And if it's Friday night, I'm like, oh, these people are probably been drinking. Yeah. Like there's people probably drinking. My husband pointed that out. He's like, it's Friday night, babe. People are probably drunk messaging you. Yeah. Hostility. And they're locked up and they're angry and they have every right to be angry. You know, so yeah. these are the things that, and I think it's good we're sharing this because one of my goals is to get more people to figure out without getting deleted or terribly censored, how do they get their voice out? We need more people dissenting yes. publicly. And so I'm hoping that this conversation right now is helping some people listening. Some of the listeners understand that if, if we, we have to all step up and be brave, yeah. the more that people just let you and I take the helm and say, oh, well, they'll do it. They're cheering us on from the bleachers while we're in the arena taking arrows. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, good job. I love you. And I'm like, get in the fucking arena. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> so, <laughs> I, I could use so some true. backup. That's <laughs> so true. Well, I think the, uh, the truckers convoy up here, I know you were following that. Like that was really powerful in that I saw a lot of people who were kind of, because look, there's a lot of people in our society who um, don't have, I don't know, maybe the best way to put it. I think it's that they don't actually have when it comes to that subconscious mind that I was talking about, we all have within that we have a self concept, a self identity, and that is who we believe ourselves to be. And I think that for most people, they have these senses of inadequacy, they don't feel fully worthy, they don't feel good enough to be able to make their own decisions, they don't actually trust their own critical thinking. So therefore, they don't do it. So they follow along with and they look at like, okay, what are the, what's the majority of everyone else saying? Because they just want to fit in because that's their idea of how they get love, care and attention is to just, if I'm just like believing the same things and I'm saying the same things and I'm acting in the same way, maybe then I'll get love, care and attention. And that's a big part of our society. There's a small part of our society, people like me and you who, you know, we will speak the truth even if it, even if there's risk, even if it's not convenient for the people around us. And I think that what that truckers convoy, for example, did is it, it showed like even some of the polls, like it was like even like CTV, one of our main media sources up here in the mainstream media, like they did polls and it was like, do you support the truckers convoy or not? And it was like more people supporting the truckers convoy than not. Like, I think 
people saw that and they were like, oh, it's okay. Like now I can actually like, I have thought this was bullshit the whole time, just was afraid to say it. And now they have that more courage because more people around them are speaking up. And I think that that's why I, I now on my, uh, in my podcast and on my posts, I talk a lot about how like, People are always like, what can we do, Kayla? Like, what can we do? I'm like, speak up. It matters. And there's so many people who are like, they say like, oh, you know, I've made, I've reposted and like, they never listen. They never, that's not the point. Like it's, it, it, we need to all have the courage to be able to speak up and speak truth because it then encourages more people. It normalizes it essentially. Yes. Because remember in the beginning when like we first started speaking out, it was like, Oh my God. Like it was crazy. People couldn't believe I went on video and said those things. Now it's more normalized. So we have to, we have to continue to do it and we have to do it for those people who are just waiting for like, what is the majority? Cause they're heavily influenced. We may as well influence them with the truth. I love that. I completely agree. And if we don't model bravery, they don't have anything to mirror. Exactly. You know, so if you model bravery, then people will mirror it and it will make them brave by default. If you model fear, everybody will become fearful. It's fear is a super low vibration energy and it hijacks your limbic and amygdala system, which is like your primordial lizard brain. Mm -hmm. And it gives you the dopamine hits that we are so severely lacking as a species at this point. Our, our, just the way the world is set up is just one giant dopamine suck. And so people are desperately trying to find that dopamine hit. So it actually makes them feel good to get on, watch the nightly news and see the doom and gloom. It reinforces and it gives them purpose to wear the masks and get the, all the vaccines. They feel like they're part of something. I can't tell you how many people I know who I, I knew them very well personally, and they had no purpose in their life. They were unsuccessful doctors. They were not doing well. They couldn't find a partner. They couldn't find love. They just constant, I mean, years, decades of just mediocre life and suddenly they had purpose and they were part of the cause and they were part like the head of the virtue signaling army and here they are and i'm like are y'all tired yet because your whole entire song and dance is dissolving in front of you like what do you do then because then at some point when do they admit that they were complicit to the literal downfall of society on a global level to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, they were partially responsible for it. They played into a narrative that persisted and pushed that forward. And they 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 cheered on censorship when, early when I was getting censored. They were like, yeah, make her be quiet. And I'm like, oh, you did you, none of you study, you know, the Nazi regime? <laughs> Was no one paying attention in, in U.S. and world history in high school? Because I sure was. Yeah. And I watched a lot of History Channel back then. And it was pretty much the Hitler Channel at that time when I was that age. Because that was right when all of Hitler's uh, video footage was unearthed and colorized. And it was on 24-7 on the History Channel. And it was like one of the few channels I got in my rigged up TV system in college. And so it was just nonstop. And to not be able to blatantly identify propaganda... I have no idea how people can't see the giant pink elephant in the room and where we're headed and how it's not so obvious. And I know they're afraid to say something and I know they're afraid. But if you're afraid to speak up contrary to those around you, you're in the wrong crowd. 100%. You're with the wrong family members. You're with the wrong people. Like, And I, 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 I think 
I think that because we've had such a good run, you know, since the end of World War II, this they call it like the 75-year run or whatever, 1945 to, you know, now essentially, um, you know, we've had a good run. And, and sure, there's been, you know, some wars and there's been like the crash of 2008 and there's been, you know, September 11th, like all these things are but like, we haven't had any like world events that are like, that just affect and disrupt our entire life. And I just think people, they it's so far out of what we think is in the realm of possibility because we've never even remotely seen it that, and I think COVID now woke at least a lot of us up to like, oh, we're actually closer to the things going sideways than we actually think. But like, I think for a lot of people, they just don't think that it's possible. And like you said, I, I had this quote that was like, some of y'all haven't read history to see how this plays out and it shows, you know, like, but I think one of the biggest things that we can do, you alluded to it, or the biggest, most powerful things we can recognize is that our stress hormones arouse us. <laughs> like, like they arouse us, right? Like, you know, for most of human history, our stress hormones elevated when we were getting chased by a saber-toothed tiger and we needed to be aroused. We needed to be tuned in and focused into the situation. And like, how do we get out of this situation? And now we're on this constant drip of these stress hormones. And I mean, there's a whole, I mean, it shuts off every other system in your in your body and uh, deregulates your hormones and everything. So there's all, all these really bad consequences from it. But like, ask yourself, am I addicted to my stress hormones? And dopamine's obviously very tied to cortisol and adrenaline and neuroepinephrine and whatnot. But like, ask yourself, am I addicted to my stress hormones? Am I constantly seeking these uh, these stress hormones that arouse me? And what I've actually been doing, and actually I did it half an hour before our podcast, is practicing being bored. It's hard for me to be bored. Like, I always want to reach for my phone or I want to watch something or I need to do something that stimulates dopamine. And I'm half an hour before a podcast, I'm like, no, poured some bone broth and I just sat there and I just practiced being bored. That's what dogs are for. I just sit down in my dog's bed. <laughs> I, I, I always buy a bed big enough that I can get into it too. Yeah. <laughs> so she gets the deluxe beds. And every day when I'm feeling that, because I, I have a joke. I, that I created a 12-step Cortisol Anonymous program because I was a true cortisol addict. I chased it. And for those listening who don't believe what we're saying, we have data showing that if you grew up in a tumultuous, you know, if you came out of a yeah. anxious mom or a mom that had endured a lot of stress and you had a lot of tumultuous upbringing, it may not have necessarily had to have been abuse, but just a lot of chaos in the house, much like I did. Like I mentioned to you, I moved all the time. I mean, it was constant. I had an abusive sibling. Everything was always like, ah, at high level in the house. Everyone was yelling. Things were frantic often. I remember, that's my memory anyway. Um, you start to get cortisol resistance in the brain. You start to cleave off your receptors. So it takes more and more. And by the time I finished two medical programs concurrently and built a thriving practice and built an online business and all of that as a single mom, I was a full-fledged cortisol addict. And I spent the entire summer of 2019 off. I didn't work. And I wandered around the little part of Portland I lived in with my brand new at the time, that's when I got my dog Sansa, and she was a very sickly rescue. And I just decided to come off the cortisol roller coaster. And it took me about, all in all, it took me about six months to really come down off of it. And the second COVID hit, I remember the first few days, I dropped about 10 pounds because I was in full on like 
I was getting the juice mainlined into yeah. me. I was like, fuck, yeah, let's go. Cortisol everywhere. I got this. And I actually knew what to do. I, was, I had mm. all of my, I had 400 doctors I was coaching. And I was like, we are all online. I know exactly how to pivot you through this. I know exactly how to move you through this without skipping a beat. Hey, public, I've got answers to help you. And I realized a few months in, as the cortisol was taking its toll, I was like, damn it. <laughs> I got to come off the cortisol again. <laughs> So I so just, addictive. one of my strategies, well, to, uh, things that I do that I have been thinking of as, as you've been speaking, um, as you speak of these very helpful strategies of being the observer and stepping back and, and all of these things is I just go for a walk. Mm. I get up and start moving because I, like you, I don't ever get bored, but I'm a fidgeter. And the longer I'm allowed to sit in that uncomfortable feeling, the more I'll, the more angry I'll get, the more upset I'll get. So if something triggers me, I just start pacing. Yeah. I go for a walk. I might do some um, qigong where you like bounce. You know, I might do something like that to a song. I might hula hoop. But I have found movement. I might just go down into the gym and work out. But I have found movement to be easily the best place for me to quickly process that surge and then kind of come down off the wave, right? Yeah. So some kind of movement. Or I'll climb into my dog's bed with her and start kissing on her and hugging her. We I call it my little dog makeout session because we give each other lovies for like 10 minutes and then everybody feels amazing. So there's different things that you can do. And if being physical is one of them, I might actually go seek intimacy with my husband mm -hmm. just to like shift that, you know, move my mindset out of where I am as I'm diving into the downward spiral of anger and frustration and pull myself back into a higher level of vibration. Or I might pray, mm. which looks a lot like meditation, I guess, yeah. you know, to my, like, really, I'm praying to my higher self, trying to tap into what is what is my calling here? What am I supposed to do in this movement? And never is the answer to respond to the troll on Instagram. <laughs> it's yeah. never the answer. No. no, it's, it's never to respond to the trolly, uh, colleague who's yeah. coming after me on Facebook. It's never to respond to the person bitching me out on an email. It is never the answer. That's never what my higher self tells me to do. Or when I try to pray higher than that, that's never the answer. The answer usually is to get active in what can I do to continue on my mission, which is to help humans and to help the freedom fighters continue to fight from a platform that they can make money and not get driven out of their jobs. And so those are, that's where I have to tap back and, you know, take care of my family. Because mm. honestly, I don't really give a shit about like how this all is going to end, to be yeah. honest with you. I, I have a feeling that it's going to get choppier before it calms down, but I am going to vibrate at my highest vibration throughout the process as I can standing in this flesh suit that I have been gifted by the universe. And I am going to continue to try to live my mission. And I, I don't think people even understand what their mission is if they don't get quiet enough. Like you said, get bored, get quiet, be alone. All of these things you've mentioned, like these are tools to figure out what your purpose is, because I think it's ultimately those without purpose who are falling victim to this fear factory. Like always go back to your greatest good. One of the best questions you can ask yourself in any moment is what I'm about to do. Does it serve my greatest good or does it distract me from my highest self and my highest purpose? Right. And winners will make decisions and actions based off of their long-term values and commitments. Losers will 
make decisions based off how they feel in the moment. What do, what do they feel like doing? Well, I feel like, you know, eating pizza a lot. I feel like drinking beer a lot. I feel like, you know, like I, I do, like I do. If, if I'm around, like if I'm in somewhere where you can gamble, I feel like gambling sometimes. For me personally, I got to stop myself and I got to say, is this really going to serve me in a week from now or a month from now, right? Or should I just make the decision to, you know, stave off this two minutes of satisfaction and pleasure and dopamine and light, lighting the pleasure centers of my brain up? Should I just maybe like not do that to sacrifice for the greater good? And I think that's so important. I love what you said about, um, you know, I often tell my clients who struggle with meditation or struggle with practicing being bored is like, go for a walking meditation. And, and when I say meditation, like meditation is really just about tuning your attention into the present moment and being the observer of what's going on. It's not clearing your thoughts, right? That if you have that goal and that intention, that's probably going to make your mind even more busy. It's actually, um, it's actually to accept the busyness. It's like you're at a bus stop and you're meditating and there's cars going by in front of you. And let's just pretend that the cars in front of you on that street are your thoughts. Most people, when they meditate, they get up out of the bus stop and they walk into traffic and they try and control their thoughts. They try and control the cars and they say, you turn around, you go here, you go right, you go left. Meditation is really just to sit at the bus. It's the recognition that you can just sit at the bus stop and you can watch the cars go by and you don't have to step into traffic and trying to control them. You don't have to judge them. You can literally just let them go by. You don't have to attach to them. That's what meditation is. So if anyone that's listening, I think that was a great additive to what I said, Dr. Tina, and I would say that anyone who's going to, you know, not be able to sit because they're a fidgeter, go on a walk and just just tune your attention into the things around you. And when a thought comes by, it's like a car going in front of you when you're in the bus stop. Let it go by. Don't judge it. And just gently return your attention to the things around you and watch the magic happen. That's such a nice analogy. That's really it. You're right. Just I think of it too as like another car analogy is it's like rain coming down on the windshield and you yeah. just let it roll over the top of the car. You know, you don't have to be in the rain. But you're in the rain. Yeah. It's happening. It's yeah. okay to acknowledge that it's happening. But just let it roll over the top of the car, just like those cool little beads that run up your windshield and how neat they look when they do that, you know? Yeah. Just let it roll roll off you. And it's it's easier said than done. Of course. But never is the answer. Usually I I have I have a little voice in my it's kind of like that little angel and devil that sit on your shoulder and my little angel will be like, "This is not a good idea." <laughs> is exactly what it sounds like too. I, if I hear that and I ignore it, I'm always like, damn it. I got the signal. I got the cue and I yeah. didn't do it. You know, I didn't listen. It could be food, like you said, beer and pizza. I mean, oh my God, who doesn't want to just live off that? But that is not going to help me out. And I, I, I used to, you'll laugh. I, when I was in high school and college, I used to show up to parties and I'd get that signal and I'd leave. I would just leave. I, I wouldn't tell anyone I was leaving. I'd just get out of there. I'd get in my truck. I'd go home or I'd walk home or whatever. 
And every single time the police showed up and everybody got like minor in possessions. So I know my intuition is solid and I know when I'm in the flow state. And if I get the, this is not a good idea, (laughs) it it could be food, it could be alcohol, it could be whatever. And I finally got it ringing loud and clear with alcohol. Like finally, I I wasn't listening to it because I was drowning it in alcohol and I wasn't even drinking that much. It just was like low, well, like you said, it's that like slow drip of fear. And I had the slow, low drip of alcohol and people have the slow, low drip of poisonous food that they're putting in their mouth all the time. And all of that compounded plus more really dulls your instincts. And if you can't have your instincts on through movement and exercise and healthy relationships and sunlight, all the things you mentioned that we always talk about on here, and I'm sure on your podcast, then you don't have any intuition on and instincts on what are you going to do? You're going to fall for the bullshit every time, right? You're going to turn on the news and believe the bullshit coming out of that box. And here we are in society. How many years later of people, they, they're slow dripping into CNN, you know? Mm. Yeah, you have to make decisions that serve your future self. But you have to know where do you, you have to begin with the end in mind. You got to know where you're getting to. What is the end? What's your desired state? Right? What is your ideal day? What's your ideal life? You have to know those things so you can then reverse engineer and say, oh, actually drinking wine every other night actually doesn't bring me to that place. But if you don't even know where you're getting to, you literally can't even make decisions based off your long-term values and commitments. And I get it. Like I love everything from you know, nicotine. Like I, I love tobacco. I love alcohol. I love pizza. I love cocaine and MDMA. And like, I love sex, drugs and rock and roll. I love it. Like I've, I've done all those things in the past, but I like them in the moment because they make me feel good in the moment, but I will never sacrifice my greater good for, you know, a a few minutes or even a few hours of, uh, pleasure. Yeah. The next day sucks after all of those for me. So, and as you get older, it sucks more and more and more until finally you just hit a point where you're like, you know, I think the two great motivators I always said in practice that I found when I was in clinical practice and then what I teach my, uh, the docs that I coach, it's pain and vanity, right? So pain and vanity are great movers. I think interestingly, we have become so I mean, if you just look at society, go to the mall, just look at everybody. And this isn't a judgment call. Just look at what humans have turned into. And in comparison to the 70s or 80s or even 90s, right, when you would go to the mall, just look at, go to Costco, look at what everybody is shaped like and looks like and the poor, it's just a lot of pathology and poor health, right? And I feel bad for them, but I don't have a lot of capacity for sympathy anymore. Um, The tools are out there for everybody. It's truly a matter of, at this point of like, you got to put in the work. But I think we have gotten to a point where people are, and if you've ever had chronic pain, I have, it's weird. It's insidious. It slowly, slowly, slowly takes over your life. And as it does, you start moving less because it hurts to move. And then you lay around and you gain weight and then you move less and then you drink more and then on and on. So pain is like the great destroyer. But the giving into the pain, especially if you're taking opioids, those actually upregulate the microglial cells in your brain to promote more pain. So you're driving the pain through all these things you're doing to supposedly offset it. And then vanity, I think we've just, I mean, it's, I know there's still some vanity left in the world. And I don't think it's an evil 
emotion. I think it keeps many of us, I mean, it keeps me fit, keeps me healthy a lot of times. I want to look good naked. Yeah. As old as I can, as, as good as I can. I'm not trying to look like when I was 25, but I, I want to like hold this together as long as I can. And that makes me feel good. But I don't, that's not just why I exercise. I exercise for a million more reasons that are whatever, whatever value someone holds. I mean, it's mind blowing to me when people say, you know, health at every size, but then they have fake boobs. I'm just like, we get to decide what we want. But I will tell you this, without some semblance of and it's I think it's where vanity, maybe we should call it self respect. Because to me, it's like you, you know, back when I was growing up, you got up and you put on clothes and you went to work. And now we have a bunch of adults running around in their pajama pants in Portland. I don't know if that's happening all over the world, but it's a thing. And well, look at Portland. Portland's like Gotham City now. I think our I just read today that our overdose rates are up 41%. I mean, it's it's yeah. Gotham City. So maybe it's not so much looking at it as vanity as just like, you know, self-respect. And having some self-respect is not a bad thing. And I think that the more that we can tap into what do I honor within myself and how can I hone that? I write it down. I write it on sticky notes. I put it all over my house to remind myself, go for a walk today, get in 10 minutes of reading, um, spend some quiet time. Like I have to remind myself to get out of my head and get out of the hustle and bustle and not let the day pass me by. And I have to stop and consciously do some things. I think we all need to figure out how to do that to some degree, because as you start to come back into your body and reclaim your health, Sure, some can call it vanity, but it feels so good and it to feel good. It feels good to feel good and it feels good to look in the mirror and be proud of the work you're doing 100%. and it feels good to be winning. I don't know a single person who's on a weight loss journey who isn't fucking stoked. Everyone messages me so stoked that they've dropped weight. They never are like, oh, it's not about that. I mean, I met some young people with some pretty messed up mindset who are like, oh, don't don't compliment me. Cause I'll be like, you lost 40 pounds. You look great. They're like, don't compliment me. It's not about that. Cause they're really holding on to that health at every size narrative. That's fine. But most people are just stoked, not because they lost the weight, but because they went through the process of losing the weight. They did the discipline thing and they're so proud of themselves for holding that. Um, to, to, you know, we, we have clothes that we feel you know look good we do our hair in a way that we you know feel looks good and you know jewelry and you know there's nothing wrong with the desire to look our best and and yeah I think that can be like anything taken too far but there's nothing wrong with looking our best and then to suggest that you know not having a good body composition or being overweight like to to then just throw that out the door and say that doesn't matter. Well, that's ridiculous. And and let's talk about body positivity for a sec because I do have a lot to say on this. But just to really summarize my my thoughts because that's kind of a, an important topic that I feel passionate about talking about. There's one thing that body positivity misses. I am all about body positivity. If we just look at it objectively, yeah, I want everything positive when it comes to our body and our physiology. But the one thing it misses is personal responsibility. I think this movement is suggesting that you can do whatever you want. You can treat your body however you want, and then you love your body however it, however the result is. Well, to me, there's nothing positive about that, right? It's missing the first step. I am all about accepting the way your body looks if, if, big, big if, if you've taken ownership of treating it as though you love it and not taking it for granted. 
And that's taking personal responsibility. And that's doing everything you can in your control that's reasonable to make sure you're healthy. And then guess what? Your body composition is going to go to where it should be, right? And then it's time to look in the mirror and say, you know what? However my body ends up, I should be proud of it because I put in the work. I, you know, like, good, look, I'm, pr- I'm happy about my genetics. I, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the way my body looks, but like, I hold a little extra trunk fat, just, you know, I don't know if it's because of my chronic stress from the past and, and everything, but I know that I'm not going to look like some of these guys that I see on Instagram or in a GQ magazine or whatever. I just know that I don't have like washboard abs. I, you know, I'm never going to get that. So I can't dwell on that because that is the genetic component. I have to do everything that's within my control And then accept when I look in the mirror and say, you know what, I'm freaking proud because I've shown up. And that's what is missing from this body positivity movement. There's nothing positive about accepting your body the way it looks no matter what. Well, especially if you're poisoning yourself, (laughs) which is in in turn affecting all of society at this point. That's really my beef is like choosing to stay in a chronically diabetic state is perpetuating the pandemic. It's perpetuating all of us living in lockdown and living yep. under tyranny. Yep. I, I firmly believe that. And so I believe it is everybody's personal responsibility to do the absolute best they can. This isn't about, I've said this before on different platforms and I've taken so much heat for it. And the, the people who came at me didn't, they failed to listen to the whole statement I made, right? They just took a piece of it, a chunk of it on Instagram and decided to roll. I've lived it. I have lived this. I have lived in chronic illness. I've lived in chronic pain. I have lived with, I have lived severely underweight to detriment of my survival. I have lived overweight. I have lived all the things. And I don't look in the mirror and be like, oh my God, I look like Christy Brinkley, but I'm dating myself because she was like the super, super model of my generation. But I am damn proud because I know I got my ass up and I got in the gym three times this week. And I know that I went for my walks and I know that I did all the things to balance my blood sugar. That's really what it's about, right? To me, it's about balancing that blood sugar because if your metabolism is revving at a good level, your immune system sure is too. Your libido sure is too. Your hormones are going to be far more balanced. Your neurotransmitters are going to be far more balanced. You're going to be a more pleasant human being to be around. You're going to be a more productive part of society. You are going to be less of a taker and more of a giver when it comes to the overreaching energetics of the world. I mean, think about that, Kayla. Every time someone comes at me and says some shit on Instagram, I just, well, I used to write back and say, well, what are you doing to be helpful? Yeah. Especially at the beginning of this pandemic. I'm like, I'm giving out a shit ton of free information constantly. Like I'm a machine of content, cranking information that's helpful out there. Take it or leave it. If people don't like it, that's fine. I'm not for everyone. That's okay. But I'm not lying. I'm just throwing down basic, basic metabolic health. And it's like, well, what are you guys doing? And they never had an answer. They were just sitting at home bitching, you know, and people who want to get mad and triggered at what we're saying or at the truth of the matter, it's like, I don't care what size someone is. I care what their labs say, that they're metabolically sound and they're not going to be a huge suck off the system that I'm paying massive taxes into. I'm, I'm, I don't want them to be a suck off the system that is driving these COVID hospitalizations. And they're saying, oh my God, all these, these hospitalizations are up. I'm like, if everyone wasn't so fucking sickly to begin with, we wouldn't have a ton of hospitalizations. If we went into this as I think 50 years ago, COVID would have been nothing. Yeah, I think 50, yeah. uh, like 
50, 60, 70 years ago, we would have just burned through this as a society because we would have been metabolically sound enough to do so. Now, I'm not blaming individuals for not being metabolically sound if they don't know better. But if they do know better, if they're listening to this show or follow your content or listen to your podcast, they know better. And then it's a matter of that personal responsibility you speak of to step into that discipline role and actually put in the work to take the steps to make it happen. That is my beef. That is where I get fired up around the health at every size movement. It's like, not if you're dying of diabetes, people. It's not, it's not a good thing. And it's the repercussions on their family. I don't think people ever think about this. When I was sick all the time, when I dealt with chronic depression and anxiety and migraines, I had a little tr- a child. I had a little daughter. And I was laying on the couch all the time, a complete lump, worthless. And I remember laying there like so bad. I, the migraine was so bad. She was two and a half. And she's like, she had her little binky in. And she's like, mama, come on, come on. And I'm laying on the couch and I can't even stand her voice because it's making my head shatter. And I remember thinking clearly, she does not deserve a piece of shit, mom. Mm. Like that was because my sister was a complete piece of shit to her kids. And I and, like was chronically ill through like pretty self-induced chronically ill. And I'm so sorry to say this, and I hope this doesn't offend anyone because this is my lived truth. This is not what I'm saying to someone else. I'm not, do not take my words as a projection onto yourself, people. That was what I heard in my head was like, she does not deserve a piece of shit, mom. Mm. And I got up off the couch and I changed everything that day. Now I'm getting chills, Dr. (laughs) Jan. I saw a quote this morning that said, everyone says that they would die for their family. That's a common phrase. The real question is, are you willing to be healthy? For your family, right? I mean, like, it's one thing to say you'll die for your family. That's probably not going to have to happen. But the reality is, is you're going to have to either be healthy or unhealthy for your family. So if it's not doing it for you, if you can't get off the couch to do it for you. Like you just said, do it for your family. And I just think that, man, there's so many people who would hear our conversation when it comes to the body positivity and we're saying, no, it's not health at all sizes. No, that's not. That's There's flaws in that and there's danger in that. There's so many people that would hear that and they would say, you guys lack so much empathy. You guys have no sympathy. To me, I don't know that there is anything less empathetic or sympathetic than a lot of healthcare professionals or health officials or even people in government or just anyone with any fucking common sense who suggests to people who are hospitalized for COVID, you know, I I remember reading articles of like, you know, people in their 20s hospitalized for COVID and they're just fear mongering. And sure enough, you see the video of them and they're obese, right? Massively, usually massively obese. Usually. And it's like, I don't think there's anything less empathetic than that healthcare professional, that doctor who probably said, I don't know, maybe the, maybe, you know, we don't know. It's a mystery why you're in here. You know, COVID, it's a crazy thing, right? Like maybe, maybe the research will tell us one day. I don't think there's anything less empathetic than that kid leaving that hospital and most likely, or those kids, I should say, leaving those hospitals and not actually being told the truth, not actually being told that, hey, maybe we should look at basic fundamental health principles to improve your metabolic function. I totally agree. I think it's a huge And we're the bad guys. Yeah, we're the bad guys. I think it's an ethics violation, to be honest with you. I think it's it's like letting somebody walk out with raging blood pressure, high blood pressure, not telling them that that's the the contributing factor. It's it enrages me. Like just hearing you say that, I I think back to the countless numbers of people I've helped lose clinically in my practice, helped lose hundreds of pounds. 
the chronic autoimmune patients that my mentor and myself have helped completely reverse their lives, getting people out of wheelchairs, people who were resigned to dying and reversing their autoimmune disease through diet and lifestyle. That's what I did for a decade in my clinical practice. That is the work I did. That is the work I try to do now. And if I were to put a post out asking for everything, if every one of my followers saw it, which would never happen because we live in the shadow ban land <laughs> on Instagram. And I said, everyone who's lost weight listening to the information I've shared on here since COVID message me. I bet cumulatively, I mean, just the messages I get constantly and the pictures I see constantly that I don't share out because they're private. Um, cumulatively, thousands of pounds have come off human beings just from basic, basic lifestyle guidelines that I've shared out, you've shared out, lots of people have shared out. Go for a walk, stop eating refined sugar, stop eating refined carbohydrates, eat more protein, start strength training, build some muscle so you have some insurance on your body to protect you against everything, you know, mindfulness, meditation, go to bed on time, put yourself to fricking bed on time, get up at the same time every day, go outside, look at the horizon, just basic stuff. It's, I don't understand how we're the bad guys for spreading that message. But the people who have listened, I do think it has saved lives. I think Together, we have probably saved thousands and thousands of lives because people listened and took action. And that makes me feel better. And it, I try not to listen to the naysayers. But man, it's wild to me the pushback I got on just promoting basic treatment guidelines. That's what we call them in naturopathic medicine, just basic treatment guidelines, like drink some filtered water, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and even for my colleagues, it's mind-blowing. I'm like, we are naturopathic physicians. We believe in the innate ability of the human body to heal itself. I literally was in class with you guys. We literally sat for board exams together. And now you're yelling at me, calling me an ableist and a fat shamer, because I dare say that somebody empower themselves to not melt once COVID hits their body, because that's what happens. If you want to put it in a nutshell, when a person is sitting in a pro-inflammatory state, COVID melts them. Yeah. That is what's happening. And there's nothing doctors can do to stop the melt. Mm -hmm. it, it, once it's on, it's on. Once that sequence gets going, it's self-perpetuating and the whole thing metabolically and biochemically turns into a complete nightmare. And you can throw steroids at it and you can try to do all these things. But if you are prone to melting down like a nuclear reactor because you're rocking massive amounts of inflammation that you're carrying around in your adipose tissue, you too will be compromised when this or any pro-inflammatory virus makes its way into your body. And this is what I'm trying to empower people with, to understand. Preventative medicine, it's a real thing. Hey, Dr. Tina, that's that's what a crazy concept that we can... It's apparently <laughs> illegal now. <laughs> yeah, it's a right-wing conspiracy theory is what it is. <laughs> yes, you yeah. must be QAnon. That's what... <laughs> yeah, it must be from QAnon. It's outrageous. I mean, there's no way that our, you know, we can prevent these things from happening. Yeah, and the, the critics will say, like, I know for me, my biggest, um, you know, the, the naysayers, because when it comes to me helping people in, improve their metabolic health, it's very basic principles, very low risk, basic principles. But they will say like, you're not a doctor. Actually, that's probably one of your biggest criticisms as well, too. I remember sharing your stuff like crazy throughout the whole thing. And she's not a real doctor, yeah. right? Oh, okay. Well, tell me what a real doctor is saying. Because I mean, I don't care on paper. You're a real doctor, <laughs> you know, medical doctor, naturopathic doctor, you know, functional medicine practitioner, or just a health coach, you know, and that's why, you know, for me, 
Um, I obviously stay within my, my scope of, I do a lot of mindset work, a lot of mental health work, a lot of the subconscious mind reprogramming conditioning, like we talked about, but you know, it's like basic health principles. I don't do anything crazy and there's nothing, there's risk to everything. And that's what the, the nitpickers will go at. They'll be like, you're not a doctor. So like, you know, suggesting that they should go out and stare at the sky first thing in the morning to regulate their circadian rhythm. Like, you know, there's risks to that, like, you know, and, or it's a crazy concept or it's pseudoscience. It's like, well, try it, Sally, because that's probably the best, you know, we don't always have to wait for a double blind placebo controlled study for every single thing. We can actually just look at how humans have evolved for, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, (laughs) right. And just try it, go try it. It's low risk. Does it, you know, help you, you know, produce more melatonin later in the day? Does it help your sleep cycles? Like try it. Right. I heard a very well-respected doctor who has a big YouTube channel. I like him, but he's very allopathic. And he was on someone else's podcast and he was just baffled at the literature that he had found about the 1918 flu and the use of hydrotherapy, which is alternating hot and cold to stoke the body's innate ability to heal itself. It is naturopathic medicine 101. That is our core, one of our core therapeutics. And I remember him being so befuddled by how he looked at the studies from back then and the folks who were in the, basically the naturopathic hospitals that were getting sunshine and hydrotherapy weren't dying. They were not getting aspirin and they were getting sunshine and hydrotherapy and they were not dying. And he was so blown away by that. And it's so funny when I see, it's like all these biohackers, like they're all discovering what naturopaths have known for decades. And I want to be like, oh, I'm so glad you found this study to support this biohacking thing. But, you know, I want to be like, in recent news of what naturopathic doctors have known for 50 years or 100 years, (laughs) did you know that going out and looking at the sky is helpful? Yeah, And I will say this too, I'll, two other things. I have gone toe to toe with some of the smartest MDs out there and they cannot hold, they cannot hold their own with me most of the time. I'll go if I have to, but I don't want to. Again, it's completely wasted energy. My ego is yeah. not so big that I need to prove myself. So yeah. I get that a lot. Like, oh, I'd love to see you and so-and-so debate. I'm like, debate what? We're like literally living on different planets of belief. There's, well, there's nothing to debate here. Yeah. I don't have the energy for that. You're I'd rather speaking. spend my energy trying to help people and create programs and content that is actually helpful to society. We don't have a lot of time, like yeah. chop, chop, you know? And then lastly... Some of the health coaches I've become friends with over the past few years are about 100,000 times smarter than a lot of the NDs I know. So I I don't discount anybody. I used to. I totally admit I used to, but I do not discount anybody on what degree they hold. What they need to have is a basic understanding of, if, if they want to argue, they've got to have an understanding of biochemistry yeah. and immunology and biochemistry, uh, just like nutritionally biochemical, you know, just a tinge. And then it's game on because these folks are some of these, like, uh, I don't know if you follow Brendan Vermeer. He's been on my podcast before, The Holistic Savage. You guys would get along great. You should become friends. You should have each other on each other's podcasts. He's a lovely, lovely man, but he's a health coach and he's one of the smartest human beings I've ever met. You're highly intelligent and very skilled. And what people don't understand is it's not the fancy interventions that get people better. It's the stuff you do. It's the work you do. It's shifting their mindset first so that they're able to actually take on the daunting tasks of lifestyle change and then implementing the basic treatment guidelines because 
because without that, it doesn't matter how many drugs or hormones or biohacking or whatever you throw at it, it, it doesn't stick. Yeah. So those, those, I call them the basic foundations of your health house. If they're not addressed, it doesn't matter what you build on top, it'll fall over. Yeah. So it's boring and it's not sexy, <laughs> but it's human living 101, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate so much of what you said. Um, and your support in my work, you know, means the world as well, too. And, you know, I think that um, for me, it's uh, I, I made a post not too long ago about having a healthcare team, right? Like we all need a healthcare team, right? And there's, you know, this is a holistic approach. There's no one coach. There's no one teacher. There's no one doctor. There's no one person that can help you in every area of your life, right? This is mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, right? And it's okay to have, in fact, we need, it's necessary to have that team so you can get knowledge in each of these areas. And um, yeah, I look, I, I've often thought about going back and doing formal education and um, for me, I would rather just really say, look, I come from the school of hard knocks and we live in a time where you can self-educate yourself. You have to be careful because there's a lot of crap out there, um, but you can self-educate yourself to be able to provide a lot of value to people. And if you have real life experience on top of that and you're smart enough to kind of stay within your scope of what you're actually specializing in, it's an incredible thing. And I appreciate your support. I appreciate everything you said, uh, Dr. Tina. It, it means a lot. There's a lot of bad health coaches out there. There's a lot of bad doctors out there. Yep. Probably a lot of bad naturopaths out there. Um, and uh, But I, I do appreciate your support big time. Oh, yeah. No, I think everybody actually needs a coach. It's critical for mind and body. And I think doctors could have a lot less burnout if they actually had a supportive health coach. It's one of the things I teach my mastermind doctors to do is to implement yeah, because, because a health coach in their practice. Can, can I can I interrupt? Sally Sue, who's 45 years old, she's 50 pounds overweight, she's pre-diabetic, she's never even listened to a podcast in her life, she doesn't know anything about personal growth, she doesn't even know what a subconscious mind is, she has all these unhealthy narratives in her psychology, she would benefit from the most basic fundamental things, you know, I might be a really good entryway for, you know, and you would be a part of someone like yourself would be a part of our plan and our strategy of like, hey, let's go get some biological mar markers you know, and, and assess where you're at there. Let's go, you know, maybe you do need, you know, someone who's really trauma informed to work on that, but I'm going to work on this and we're going to get a bit of a team here. Right. So that's, yeah, that, that's why I think, you know, we need all kinds of uh, people going out with different specialties, different uh, areas of focus. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's critical. And we can see in the data, especially around diabetes, those programs that implement a health coaching strategy and some mindset work have significantly better outcomes for the patient base than those who are just employing. I mean, the, the allopathic system has diddly squat for diabetics, type two or type one for that matter. But the naturopathic profession, the holistic medical profession, the functional medicine doctors, there's still just a lot of people running labs and throwing pills at people. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And the the heavy lifting is really where the health coach comes in. It's shifting that person's entire paradigm around how they're living their life. And once you shift that, oftentimes you don't need the doctor. 
Most, most people who come to me and work on nutrition with me, they actually have a really, it's starting to surprise me. And I'm an animal-based guy. I'm a carnivore guy. I'm a primal guy. So for me, it's really exciting, all these people who are coming in, and they actually know a good amount about what they actually need to do in terms of just basic fundamental nutrition uh, knowledge. They know what to do. They can't do it because of up here. They have too many limiting beliefs. They have too many unhealthy patterns. They're too addicted to highly processed foods. They are using it as a coping mechanism. They're using food as entertainment. Like So we literally spend all the time up here. Right. So, you know, practical knowledge is one thing, you know, working on the mindset behind things is a whole other thing. That is so true. I found that in, I towards the last the latter several years of my practice, my clinical practice, it was all pain. It was all musculoskeletal predominantly. I didn't do any of the other stuff anymore. And one of the main reasons I decided I wanted to leave practice was because I realized that most people's chronic pain, if it was chronic, if it was acute, great, we could usually clean it right up. If it had gone chronic, uh, that was all mental, emotional stuff. And I didn't want to be a therapist. Yeah. And I didn't want to go through more training to become one. And I didn't, that's not the part of practice I enjoy doing. So if they weren't willing to work with somebody concurrently, we, we often couldn't get through that layer of muck, you know, and okay. it is, you're, you hit it on the head. I, I experience it daily myself. I, you know, I, I live there too. I understand it, but yeah. it's so nice to talk to you about it because I think you're right. I think that most people don't, and they don't want to admit that there's something there, but it's not just all didactic. It's not just like do this, do that. You know, I give them the didactic part yeah. and it's, and I simplify it. If people are ready to do it, it works, yeah. but if they're not ready to do it, we have a problem. And that's where I think Generally speaking, uh, it seems like a huge percentage of the population is not ready. They would rather, you know, prey on the shrine of Fauci. So many people <laughs> are addicted to their misery. That's yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, Kayla, this has been so lovely. I didn't realize how late it's become. I know I have to let you go about your business of saving the world. So <laughs> let everyone know where you are and where to find you and where your best stuff is. Yeah. So first off, Dr. Tina, I live for these conversations. So just thank you for having me. This has been so wonderful to riff with you and such a great jam session. Um, yeah, I would say that um, two places you could go. Um, number one, I do a ton of stuff on Instagram. So if you want to go to my Instagram, it's the Kaler. That's Taylor with a K. Betts, B-E-T-T-S. You can go to my Instagram. Um, you can also check out the podcast, Mental Wealth Podcast. Um, if you are interested in getting some coaching, right? Do you need a coach? I'm not here to really debate that. I think that everyone deserves a coach, okay? Um, if you feel stuck is maybe the best way of putting it, for lack of a better term. Um, you can go to www.buildmentalwealth.co. That's .co www.buildmentalwealth.co and that'll give you some more information. There's a video of me kind of explaining a little bit more about my process and you can sign up for a call. You can fill out an application. We will review it. We'll see if you might be a good fit and you will get on a call either with me or one of my team members and who knows, it might just change everything. I love it. I highly suggest it, you guys. This is, I agree with you, I think in business and in fitness and in my mindset and in my medical, I have a, I got someone for all of it. So 
I got a team and I think it's such a critical piece, especially if you're struggling. We, I keep saying we're out of time. I really mean that. Like we don't have any more time to dilly dally around this. So if you guys have been sitting on the fence, I'm also about to release an amazing program called the metabolic revamp, which will give you all the didactics. So stay tuned for that. And I will have all of this in the show notes. Kaylor, I adore you. Thank you for showing up. I hope you gain your freedom out of Canada at some point and you get to go back to the sun in the winter time. (laughs) And hopefully our paths will cross someday. And uh, let's have you back on the show in a few months. All right. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Dr. Tina show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina. That's D-R-T-Y-N-A and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.